I had Xander put up an image last week. I'm going to have him put that image up again. It's a table that is in our house. And I told you that this is my favorite room in our house. This is the room in our house where life happens. It's, it's the room in our house where we get to break bread with our friends and people that maybe we don't even know yet and we're just getting to meet. It's the, it's the room in our house that we get to laugh at and cry at and share stories with. And, I mean, community happens in our house in this room. I love that table. I, I love when my wife went and got that table made. I love that my wife didn't tell me how much the table cost until after the table was in my house. That's right, it don't matter then. But the reality is you can't put a price on that table because, again, connection happens around that table. I, I love personally that that table is custom-made and there's not another table like that table anywhere. There's some special things in that table. There's some special hidden things in that table that signify our family and different things. And that table means something to me. And I told you last week as I was thinking about that table, I got to thinking about Action Church. And I know I'm partial. I'm the pastor here and I get that. But there's just something that I love about Action Church. Life happens here. Messy happens here. I love that about this place. There's a lot of churches where they're afraid for messy to happen. There's a lot of churches where people don't think they can allow their messy to happen. I'm not saying that we're better than any other church. I, I'm just saying, man, I love this place. It's unique. I love my church. I love that I get to pastor this church. There's no place in all the world that I would rather pastor than right here in the ghetto of Canton. And I mean that with everything in my heart. We specifically chose this location when we started this church. We wanted to be a church for our city, inside the heart of our city. And God's done amazing things here. But you know, just like the church and just like the table, and I told you last week there's so many parallels between the two. There's so much vision as a church that we have that kind of fit the vision that we have when we created this room, but it's not just enough to have the table. It's not just enough to have the local church. I've learned that in order for the church to be what God intended for that unique church to be, there better be some guidelines along the way. I've learned for this room to be what we want it to be. There has to be some guidelines along the way. If not, it just becomes another room. If there's not some guidelines along the way, that table becomes another coat rack for the teenage kids. It becomes another place where we put our keys and we our hats and our stuff and we just leave it there and suddenly it just becomes another room that has no meaning. There has to be guidelines and I use that word guidelines because here's what I know, you're like me and we don't like rules. So if I said, man, there's got to be some rules, we'd rebel against that. They say that if you want to know the personality of a church, and this ought to scare some of you, look at the personality of the pastor. So here's what I know. We're not going to do rules. I'm not dumb enough to get up here and talk to you about our rules. But I know in order for us to stay on track and be the church that God created us to be, there better be some guidelines that guide you in what you're doing. There's got to be some gauges, if you will, that you have to check to make sure that everything is healthy and to make sure that everything is balanced, and to make sure that the reason you started is still the reason that you're going. Because here's what happens in the local church, and we see it all around America, especially in the South. Every church started as a movement. There's not a church anywhere that started because they didn't have the desire to reach people. There's not a church anywhere that didn't get started because they had a desire to make an impact in their community. 
They started as a movement, but here's the problem. The movement suddenly become a monument. Instead of trying to reach the community when we're interested in keeping our traditions that we've always had. Instead of going after those outside the walls, we're more intent on keeping those inside the walls happy. And what's happened is, is we've got churches all over today that are meeting, and they're meeting in buildings that hold three and four and 500 people, and there's 20 and 30 people showing up. The average church in America, let me rock your world for a minute, the average church in America averages 67 people on a Sunday morning. Only 5% of the churches in America have over 300 people in attendance. That blows our mind because we think mega churches, but we don't think all the churches that are dying on the vine all around us. Because their movements have become monuments. They're no longer doing whatever it takes to fulfill the mission. They're doing whatever it takes to preserve the tradition. Not the tradition of the Bible, but the tradition of what they think made them what they are. The church doesn't realize that times change. And people say, well, the Bible doesn't change. The Bible doesn't change, but the methods sometimes change. And so you've got to make sure there's some guidelines along the way. It'd be real easy for this table, for this room in our house, especially now, because here's the deal. Now, for the most part in the Lamb House, at least 50% of the time, it's just me and Christine. We have reached that status in life. We have two kids in college. We have one who's got one class to graduate, but she's already working a full-time job and kind of doing her apprenticeship and what she wants to do. And then we have Luke every other week. So 50% of the time, it's Christine and I. So it'd be real, real easy to allow this room to become a monument of what used to be. We used to have four kids and their friends running around. It'd be real easy to no longer use this room and no longer allow it to fulfill its purpose. And in the same way, it'd be real easy for us as a church, man, we're coming up on 12 years to get real, real comfortable. Can I tell you the danger in this church? You want me to tell you what the dangerous thing about this church is? We like each other. We show up every Sunday, and we look forward to seeing each other, and that's awesome. I'm going to tell you something here, but I need to find some wood to knock on. Other than the pastor, there's not even a lot of drama in this church. This morning, some of you old people... I won't mention any names like Sandra and David Westrick. <laughs> Complained that the music was too loud. That threw me for such a loop because I'm so not used to people in our church complaining. I didn't know how to respond to it, so my answer was, if the music's too loud, you're too old. Sandra tried to put on her big girl paintings and be like, I'll watch from home. I said, you've already tried that before. You have got mad and left. You came back. You ain't leaving again because the music's too loud. She flicked me the bird, <laughs> then hugged my neck. I love this church. The danger is, man, we love what is happening here so much that we can forget what our mission is in the process. <laughs> we can get so comfortable in this that we forget this isn't why we exist. Now, don't get me wrong. This is incredible. This is awesome. I love this. But we don't exist for this. So what we're doing this month is we're talking about the table that is Action Church. I want to remind you why we do what we do around here. I want to remind you that there's some things that will change over time, and then again, there's some guidelines that will never change. 
I think it's important that I remind you, let me back that up, I think it's important that I remind myself, I think it's important that we're reminded of what's the vision of this place. Because here's what happens so many times. The vision draws you here. Mm, Don't miss this. It's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. Listen, listen, I only got this in my notes. The vision draws you here. The connection keeps you here. But then the connection makes you forget about the vision of why you're here. There's power in connection. We weren't created to do life alone. I love that. But the connection has to strengthen the vision. I want to remind you that what we do around here is intentional. It might not seem very intentional. We're not the most programmed church in America. There's a lot of churches that put on a better show than we do. There's a lot of churches around here that the building is a lot nicer than what you see around here. There's a lot of churches that have their organizational skills, if you will, together a lot better than we do. But make no mistake about it, what we do and why we do it is very intentional around here. There's some guidelines, if you will. There's some things that matter to us that make us who we are. There's some things around here that remind us, that make us the table that we are. Last week, I showed you this principle. We talked about everyone is welcome at the table. Believe it or not, you think that's a message that 100% of the people would amen about and get excited about. But about only 98% do it. I know it every time. I'm going to get at least one or two messages with people questioning. Someone sent me a message this week. I know their heart was in the right place. They said, you know what concerns me about everyone being welcome at the table? I said, what is that? They said, I'm worried that we're going to get too big and it's going to change. Well, don't go to heaven. <laughs> going to be a lot of people in heaven. I've never understood that. How, how big are we going to get? Well, obviously, we're not the biggest church around. But I don't know that. How do you put a number? Do, do we cap a number and then when it shows up, we say, sorry, you have to leave? <laughs> we're going to do what we do. And whoever God chooses to send here, we're going to love on. We're going to meet them where they are. And if it gets to the point where thousands of people are showing up here, then guess what? Thousands of people will show up here. But when you have some guidelines, it's not about how many people show up. It's it's about making sure the vision is showing up. I can say today some of these guidelines that we're going over were the same vision when there was 13 of us meeting in the parking lot or whether there's 500 of us meeting on Christmas Eve, or whether there's a couple of hundred like there is today, or whether 10,000 start showing up next week, the vision will not change. I had a discussion this week with a gentleman who was on staff at another church here in town, a very large church, and he has has transitioned on. And he said, there, we need to go into details. And he said, there's some things, it was time for me to transition. He goes, I won't be the last. Don't be surprised if some show up there. And I said, well, they're always welcome here, but they need to understand here's not there. So if they come here and try to turn into there, they're not going to be very happy. Because we're not changing. We are who we are. And everyone is welcome at the table. Today I want to talk to you about the second principle that we have in our sunroom, our dining room, our table room that we've had here since day one. And I want you to understand that this one is so vital, and this is one of my favorite scriptures, and you've heard this message 10,000 times, and you're going to hear it 10,001 today because it's that important. I need you to understand that there's always room for one more. There's always room for one more at the table. Someone said, well, what about happens when the table gets full? We get another table. Years ago, Christine and I started the tradition of opening up our home on Thanksgiving. We open up our home to everyone and anyone. If you have no place to go for Thanksgiving, you are welcome to come to our house. 
If you have a place to go and maybe you just don't like the place that you have to go, I understand that. You're welcome at our house. We have a lot of transplants that live around here. They don't have family around here. You're welcome at our house. We eat about 2 o'clock. Ask my wife our address and she'll give it to you. Everyone's welcome at our house. That's our tradition. Nobody on our watch is going to do Thanksgiving alone. We love it. The first year we did it, we didn't put a lot of thought into what that meant. Everyone is welcome at our house. Until Thanksgiving morning. That time we didn't have a table like that. We had a table that held six and a little table that held four. We didn't even have a house that kind of had an open floor plan. We had a 130-something-year-old home, matter of fact, two blocks from here, so every room was room. It was very sectioned off. Christine comes in, and she's white as a gust. I said, what's wrong? She said, that I know of, we have about 45 people coming today. Where are we going to sit them? It was funny how upset people got over that. Like, actually, people in the family got an attitude over it. They didn't like the fact that we had invited so many people. We've done Thanksgiving this way for years, and now y'all have Thanksgiving and you just invite anyone. There's not going to be enough seats. It's going to get crowded, literally. Some of this family does not eat Thanksgiving with us anymore because of this. You guys didn't put any thought into where you were going to set people. So guess what we did? It was a real simple solution. It didn't take a lot of work. We calculated how many people we thought were going to be here. And we created more seats. We put out folding tables. We put out plastic tables. Now when I tell you we put out folding tables, I'm talking about the, the hallway in the middle of our house was lined with tables. The living room. We moved the furniture against the wall and we put out tables. The back porch had tables. We moved the dining room table into an L shape and we added more tables. You say, where'd you get those tables? Well, there are some benefits to being the pastor of this church. <laughs> Came down here and got tables. We had people everywhere. The way our house was set up was we had a, it was an old house. We said it was a, almost 200 years old. We had a bedroom and then there was like this sitting room off the bedroom. So we took the sitting room and we put tables in there. Every nook and cranny of that house had tables and it had chairs. Here's why, because there's always room for one more. Had we filled those tables up, we'd have put tables in the driveway. We'd have put tables in the yard. Because it'll be a cold day in hell before we look at somebody and say, sorry, we're crowded, you can't come here for dinner. You do what you have to do. Matter of fact, those people that sat in those seats that day were the guest of honor in our home. Family wasn't the guest of honor, but they've always been there, Gary. Right, so they should be there. My kids were not the guest of honor. It's their house. Yeah, but they get to eat there seven days a week. They weren't the guest of honor. Friends were not the guest of honor because they know they're always welcome at our house. But those who had nowhere to go, the one person who I had to come down and get another chair for, they were the ones we created that dinner for. The one who might have been alone that day and had nowhere to go and no family to do something with, that was who the dinner was for. They were the guest of honor. Can I tell you something today? I love being your pastor and I love that you attend this church. But if you attend this church regularly, we don't do this church for you. We're glad you're here. We hope you get a blessing out of it. I hope the message in some way, shape, or form impacts you. I hope that the worship moves you. I hope somebody hugging your neck is the hug you need to get you through the week. But at the end of the day, we didn't start this church for insiders. We started it for outsiders. 
That's why this church exists. It will never be about your comfort. It will never be about my comfort. It will never be about Phil's comfort. It will never be about the elder's comfort. It will always be about that one person who needs a place to come because for whatever reason, something drew them through the doors of this church. Maybe they don't even believe there's a God. They're welcome here. Maybe they're struggling what their belief about God is. They're here. Maybe that they're worried that they won't be accepted because of their skin color. They're welcome here. Maybe they're worried they won't get accepted because of their sexual preference. They're welcome here. Maybe they're not worried, or maybe they are worried that they won't be accepted because of their social standing. They're welcome here. It doesn't matter where they are in life. They're welcome here, and there will always be room for one more. <laughs> Just this past week, we had a person working at our house doing some work around the house. It's a friend of ours. I I was so proud. I walked in. I hear my wife. She has no idea what I'm preaching this week, nothing. We don't talk. We're married. I'm just kidding. She had no idea what the subject was, and I heard her say, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? The individual said, I'm probably not doing anything for Thanksgiving. She said, you are now. You're coming to our house for Thanksgiving. I loved that. It made me smile. It made me realize that that's not something my wife does because it's important to me. It's something my wife does because it's important to us. It's guidelines that we've set for the vision for our lives. It's part of our code, if you will. Let me tell you something. This will not work, this being Action Church, if we're only making room for one more because it's my passion. Well, that's Gary's thing. No, 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 no. It's got to be our thing. You've got to realize today that this church exists for those outside the walls of this church. <laughs> I think this is the, one of the things that makes Action Church very unique. We didn't start this church for the already convinced. We did not start this church because we were a church split off another church. We started this church for those, don't miss this, we started this church for those who don't do church. That makes no sense from a business standpoint. That's why I refuse to allow this place to become a business. That would almost be like going to an investor. David, I come to you and say, man, I've got this great business idea and I want you to invest in it. David looks at me and says, what's the business idea? I say, listen to me, sit down, you're going to love it. I want to start a steakhouse for vegetarians. (laughs) And David's like, oh, you want to give them fake steak? No, 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 no. I want to give them real steak. But no one's going to come. They will come. I want to give them real steak and they're going to love it. David would look at me and be like, man, I love you. And sometimes I think you have some good ideas, but this is not one of those good ideas. Starting a church for those who don't do church doesn't make a lot of sense if you're going to do church the way everyone else does. But if you're going to do a church where everyone's welcome, it makes sense. If you're going to do a church where there's always room for one more, it makes perfect sense. But in order to be a church that always has room for one more, no matter who that one is, that's something that does not come naturally. Because naturally, we do what we like. We like showing up, finding the people that we know, and hanging out in our holy huddle. doesn't make you bad. It's just human nature. We find comfort in comfort. But in order to be a church where there's always one welcome, you've got to be intentional about that. You've got to be intentional, oh, don't miss this, of not only creating an environment when they show up, but you've got to be intentional about creating an environment where you're inviting them to show up. Here's my question for you. When was the last time you invited one of your unchurched friends, family, co-workers, neighbors to church? Did you know they say over 70% of people would come to church one time if they were simply invited? I don't like to talk about religion, but you'll talk about everything else. And I didn't ask you to talk about religion. I don't want to talk about religion either. But what if the reason God puts you in that person's life is to be a a conduit that gets them here? Here's what we tell people all the time. You do what we can't do. You get your friends, family, and coworkers here. We'll do what many times maybe you don't know how to do. We'll make sure that they feel welcome. 
We'll make sure that they feel loved. We'll make sure that they hear a message that they can understand, even if they decide to never come back. We'll make sure they hear a message. And here's the only ones that get freaked out by the message. It ain't really the unchurched, it's the de-churched. It's those who grew up in the church who don't go to church because they found the church irrelevant. Then they come here, ah, I'm used to this kind of church. That's the kind of church, you don't like that kind of church. If you like that kind of church, you go to it. You just don't want to go to church. You can't deal with the Holy Spirit conviction in your life. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. Sorry. We've got to be intentional. So the question becomes, how do we be intentional? What to be intentional? You've got to have some guidelines. You've got to have some steps. I'm a, I'm a step person. I met with a nutritionist this past week. You said it again? Yep, again. I, get, I have good intentions. But I, I got really convicted in my life. I've been going down some wrong paths lately and, and just got realized, I mean, there's some, I'm really disciplined in a lot of areas. And I thought about what's the area I'm the most undisciplined in and I don't really care that much about it really, but I feel like I need to get victory in that area. And if I can master discipline in the area I hate the most, I can begin to master discipline in other areas. And the guy said, well, I know you, so we'll keep it kind of broad, and I'll just give you something. I said, don't give me, no, 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 don't keep it broad. I need steps. You give me steps, I'll do it. Christine, you give me a to-do list, I will do it. Will I not? You come home and expect me to look at the floor and be like, oh, man, I better run the vacuum. That ain't happening. You expect me to come home and see there's one fork in the sink and think that one fork needs to be washed? No, nope, not happening. You come home and expect me to have the knowledge that, oh, the dogs have been home for five hours and they need to be let outside? Not happening. My mind doesn't think like that. My mind thinks I just got home and I want to go sit on that comfy couch. But, boy, I come home and there's a to-do list. I'm a machine. Oh, wash the fork. Boom. Oh, run the vacuum. Boom. Oh, let the dogs out. Oh, that makes sense. Boom. I need some steps. I need some things to tell me what to do. And so if we're going to be intentional about being about the one, then we need to have some steps along the way. Here's a great story. It's my favorite chapter in all the Bible, Luke 15. Anybody that's went here knows it's my favorite chapter in the Bible. It ends with the prodigal son, and I love the prodigal son. Matter of fact, thinking about preaching on the prodigal son the last week of this series, I don't know, I'm going I'm to fit in here soon. And Jesus is just doing his thing. And I love that Jesus is always doing his thing. And whenever Jesus is doing his thing, the religious people hated it. You ever want to know if your church is on track? Ask yourself if the religious hate it. If the religious hate it, you're probably on the right track. So they confront him. And they confront him about hanging out with non-religious people. Why are you hanging out with those people? Look what it says in Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners, that just always chuckles me. Like there were sinners, and there was IRS agents. Like they were a whole nother level of sinner. Somebody say amen. amen. See, I can say that because the live feed ain't working. <laughs> the live feed was working, I wouldn't be saying that. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around here. Jesus. Now here's what's amazing to me. Those who didn't know God, who had no desire to follow God, were drawn to Jesus. There was something different about him. He was not judgmental to them. He did not look down upon them. But they were drawn to him. They were drawn to his authenticity. They were drawn to the way that he took the laws of God and made them in a simple way that he could understand. They were drawn to him, do not miss this, because they knew at the end of the day, while he might not approve of their lifestyle, he loved them regardless. Because everywhere Jesus went, there was multitudes of people. The Bible says there was crowds of people. Here we are now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the religious people, the people who live like hell during the week but go to church on Sunday and judge everybody else, mm, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They'll always mutter. They'll never confront you loudly. They'll never, you know what's funny for all the posts you guys have always seen about me? No one ever comes to me. Never. They'll post it in Cherokee Connect. I'm going to give you an example because I just love examples. Man, I love it. I posted on our Facebook page recently a comment someone made. I didn't even block out his name. And I said, thank you for being you. And the guy said, somebody, I, 
was in a same-sex marriage, and they were asking where they could go to church, and the person commented, go to Action Church where you can burn in hell like all of them are going to. Remember that? Remember that? Okay. They were tough online. Yesterday, my wife and I go to breakfast. We walk in, and there he is. It's funny, he didn't say a word to my face. He was in town for a wedding, a wedding that I was performing. He was with the people getting married, so guess what we did? We walked over and we talked to the people getting married. We stood around him the whole time. He never said a word. Now, I'm not mad at him. I'm not even looking for a fight. My point is, is they'll always mutter about you. We go to the wedding last night. I'm up front. Groom's next to me. He's the best man. He has to stand next to me during pictures. He had every chance to say something. He didn't say anything. I'm not saying that in some big bad way, like I'd whoop his tail. That's not what I'm saying. My point is, is they'll always mutter about you. I'm not talking down about the guy. I'm simply saying they'll always mutter about you. They'll never come to your face and tell you their issue. Because it's easy to mutter, and social media gives it everybody the ability to mutter. So I think if this was written today, it would say, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were posting about him. And what's funny is, they'll post about you right next to you. Turn the phone where you can't see it. They muttered about him. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And they said that like it was a negative thing. <laughs> I love this. Like, like we could just preach here and never even get to the guideline points. The perfect son of God, Jesus, is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Instead of hanging out with the other religious people, the good people, he's hanging out with the troublemakers, the renegades, the rebels, the outcasts, the outlaws. He's hanging out with the sinners, and the religious people hated him for it. <laughs> Every time we do an event here, we did a fundraiser for the Shriners Friday night. Canton Ice House had a bar up front, and there was music. Listen, Baptist, there was dancing. I know. Now, it was white people dancing, so I don't know how good the dancing was. That might have been the sin in itself, but there was dancing. <laughs> and I saw somebody make a comment about how much they loved the band. but I don't feel right about going to a church to see them. So you'll go to the bar to see them, but not the church. But let me make something clear. This is not the church. This is a building. This is McFarland's old grocery store. This was Paranoia Haunted House before we moved in here. This was a concert venue on Friday night. It's a wrestling venue once a month. It's a MMA venue. It's whatever crazy idea I come up with venue that just happens to have a church that meets in it on Sunday morning. That's the problem. The church is more worried about the building than the lost. There's nothing sacred about this building. And you don't think God sees you drunk at Ice House like he'll see you drunk here? He's God. Like the logic of people is mind-boggling to me. Had a person one time, and we worked through it. You know what? Because I'm going to give props where props go. He was, he went 10 years without being able to confront me. And then we had a food giveaway out here that his organization had to be part of, so I confronted him. And I'll give him credit. When I confronted him, he actually told me what his issues were. He said, I struggle with all the things you do here. I said, oh, Okay. And I said, well, do you struggle when First Baptist Woodstock has a Christian concert that sells tickets? Because just because it's a Christian concert don't mean it's not a business and it's not making money. They're not selling tickets to it. Right. Oh, 
uh, uh, uh. I said, man, do you struggle when so-and-so brings in that Christian comedian and they sell tickets to the Christian comedian? Ours just happens to be wrestling. So just because it's half-naked men fake fighting in underwear don't make it any different. We're selling tickets for it. <coughs> he looked at me and said, man, I appreciate the conversation. You've given me things to think about. See what happens when two grown-ups talk? It's amazing. We're just looking for things to gripe about. So the religious leaders, they're railing on Jesus. And Jesus doing what Jesus does, and I'm trying to learn this. He didn't argue with them. Now, I'm getting to the stage in life, I will give myself credit. I have learned to ignore critics. But Jesus didn't ignore them. He just didn't argue with them. He went, he's like Yoda. He just launched into a story. Like he doesn't even acknowledge their criticism. He's just like that old guy on the front porch whistling wood. He just starts to go into a story. And when they go into a story, you better listen. When the old man goes into a story, son, just listen. Unless it's Rick Coke, because you probably heard that story 20 times. It ain't no telling where it's going to go, okay? Let's just be honest. I can make fun of him when he's not here. Jesus just goes into a story. Now, here's the crazy thing about this story. He doesn't tell one story. He doesn't tell two stories. He tells three stories, back to back to back. Each story's different, but each story has the same meaning because he wanted to reiterate his point in them to learn. He said, if you don't understand this the first time, let me repeat it a second time. If you don't understand it the second time, let me repeat it a third time. So the first story he goes into is about a shepherd. And the shepherd have a hundred sheep. And he loses one of the sheep. So hear me out here. He still has 99 sheep. He's only lost one. I don't know about you. That's pretty good shepherding to me. But the Bible says it wasn't good enough for him. He left the 99 sheep. The sheep who were smart enough to stay around him. The sheep who were still there. And the Bible says he left the 99 sheep and went to look for the one sheep. And he looked until he found the sheep. And the Bible says when he found the sheep, he called all his friends to celebrate. I'm going to be real honest with you. You call me and tell me you found your one sheep and you had 99. I'll be like, well, that's cool. I don't care. He said, no, come celebrate with me. And then before they could say anything, but he said, no, no, there was a woman. She had 10 coins. He understand these coins made a bracelet around their head and let the world know where they were in life. Let's leave it at that. And she lost one of the coins. Now, here's the deal. She still had nine of them. She still had 90% of her coins, but she lost one coin. The Bible says she lit a candle, and she swept the floor and tore the house up until she could find that coin. He ain't lost anything valuable like that before. He'll do whatever it takes to find it. The Bible says when she found her coin, she called all her friends around. Now, here's the deal. She didn't get on Facebook. There was no Facebook then. She didn't get on the telephone. There was no telephone then. So she had to go around to all her friends and say, come with me. I found the coin that I had lost. He's telling the religious leaders, y'all are worried about those that are found. I'm worried about those that are lost. And before the religious leaders say, I got one more story. A man had two sons. And one of the sons went to his dad and said, hey, go ahead and give me my inheritance, Pops. You're going to die one day, but I ain't waiting until you die to get what's mine. Give me what's mine now. And the dad did it. Sometimes God will give you what you ask for, even though it's not what's best for you. He went off and he blew it all. He's living in a pig pen. He's living in a pig pen. Now, a Jewish person in a pig pen, I don't mesh. He's eating the pig slop. He's thinking to himself, I can go back home and be a servant for my father and eat better than this. My favorite verse in all the Bible. As he's sitting in the pig pen, the Bible says he came to his senses. You ever had to come to your senses? I had a come to my senses moment recently. It's funny, all the way up to the come to your senses moment, it's nothing but a blur, and all of a sudden, boom, you come to your senses. And you think, man, I'm an idiot. He came to his senses. The Bible says, so he started back home. He was going to beg the father to let me be a servant. But the Bible says when the father saw him from far off, he ran off to him. Why did the father see him? 
because he was looking for him. The father wasn't on the farm saying, I'm going to stick around with the ones I got here. He said, my kids that never left, my older son who's out there working in the field and doing what he's supposed to do. The, no, the Bible says the father was looking for the son who had left. And when he saw him, he didn't say, I told you so. I knew that wasn't going to work out for you. He said, hey, quick, kill the fatted calf and let's do a party. Put the best robe on and put the ring back on his finger. The ring was an insignia. Let him know he was part of the family, not a slave. Mm. He said, my son was dead and he's alive. There's some powerful lessons here. They're making fun of Jesus. They're picking on Jesus for being and hanging out with the lost instead of the religious. And Jesus goes to these stories. So, so what was the lessons? And the lesson was simply this. There's always room for one more. But if you're going to make it about the one more, we've got to do some things. The Bible is not come and see. And that's the problem with the local church. Oh, man, I'm going to get sidetracked here. That's the problem with the local church. Come and see. We're going to build this big, beautiful building, and we're going to program it to death, and it's going to seem like a Broadway show, and all the lights are going to move in perfect unison, and you're never going to hear anything. You're not going to feel the spirit during worship. It's going to be more like karaoke, but, man, it's going to be the greatest singers you ever heard, and they're never going to glitch, and the preacher's going to get up and preach this flawless message, and it's going to be amazing, and the show is going to be amazing. Come and see. But the Bible says go and tell. The Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's not our job to say come and see. It's our job to go and tell. It's our job to go out and invest in the lives of our unchurched friends. It's our job to invest in the lives of our unchurched co-workers. It's our job to go invest in the lives of our unchurched family and tell them, hey, man, you've got to come see what's going on. We go and tell them about Jesus. We get them here, and then we make sure they hear about Jesus in a way that they understand. But you've got to have some guidelines. The first thing is this. You've got to understand that something valuable is missing. You've got to understand that something of value is missing. In all three stories, something was missing. Look what it says. Suppose a view has 100 sheep and loses one of them. One sheep was valuable. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. That silver coin was valuable. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together and he set off for a distant country. In each story, something was missing. There was a lost sheep, there was a lost coin, there was a lost son. The father didn't even do anything to lose his son. The son did it intentionally, but nevertheless, he was lost. Mm. He made his bed, let him lie in it. He lied in it. In each story, something is missing. Can I tell you, we started this church because we thought something was missing. In a community with a church on every corner, 74% of the people in this community do not go to church on Sunday morning. And that was pre-COVID. I'd love to see what the stats are now. They say church attendance is down 40% all over the country since COVID. So I would imagine that it's even higher. They do not not attend church because they're anti-God, contrary to what the secular world will tell you. People are not anti-God. They're anti what the church has become. They're anti... <laughs> they're anti-Christians. They're anti the way the church acts. They're anti the way Christians act. I've shared this quote a million times. Bono, the lead singer of U2, said, man, I love Jesus. It's his followers I have an issue with. <laughs> you don't got to like it. That can make you mad. Here's why you don't understand it, because you feel accepted in a church. So it's hard to comprehend that. But go back to when you didn't feel accepted. Go back to when you got divorced and the church didn't accept you. Go back to when you found the church found out you had a hurt, a habit, and a hang-up. And though you had served there for years, the minute you messed up, they kicked you to the curb. Because no army shoots its own like the church army. Amen. They're burned. They've been beat up by the church. <laughs> They've been used by the church. Someone asked me one time, and I, and I, I get this, there's going to be differing views on this, and that's cool, I get it. People always ask me, are same-sex relationship people out here? Absolutely. 
someone said, well, can they do what everyone else does? Greet someone at the door? Yeah. Serve? Yeah. One of them can run sound. I'm sure Chris will like a break every now and then. Yeah. Give a sing, worship. I don't care. See, here's what the church does. The church will use them. You know how many of them go to a church say, oh, you're accepted here. No, they don't mean you're accepted here. You're allowed to serve here, and you're allowed to give your money here, but you can't become part of the family. This is a church full of broken, busted, and disgusting people. We're all messed up. We're all flawed. We're all screwed. Why should they get a break from this crazy? <laughs> Man. People in this community needed a place that realized something valuable was missing and that people are valuable. Talked about this last week. We need to realize that people are people and not problems. We need to realize that everybody is somebody's somebody. That person you get mad at because she didn't ring your order up fast enough at the restaurant or the grocery store probably has a mama somewhere praying for her or a grandmother praying for her. You look at her as a nuisance, but someone, it's their granddaughter, it's their grandson, it's their mom, it's their brother, it's their sister. And they're praying that one day they come in a place like Action Church that loves them and accepts them and meets them right where they are. No strings attached. But you've got to realize something valuable is missing. We don't do this church because we had nothing better to do. I'm going to be honest with you again. I, I, not that I normally lie to you. I feel like I'm saying I'm being honest a lot today. It's not that I'm normally lying to you, but I'm just going to be honest with you. Straightforward with you. I beg God to let me leave this church. Do I not? Do I not? On a regular basis. God, I'm tired of every weekend being taken up. Let, well, I, I haven't prayed in years. So I just realized he's never going to answer it. But for years I prayed, God, I'm done. I want a Sunday off. God, I didn't know that there was an NFL pregame show. Please, let me have a Sunday off. God, I, I just want to be able to do whatever I want to do. And God says, no. And I know some of you are like, we get it, man. We've been praying that God would let us leave this church forever. But we understand something valuable is missing. And we need to understand that we have a responsibility to those who do not know God. We believe there's a place called heaven, and we believe there's a place called hell, and we believe those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ will go to a place called hell. We also believe the Bible says their blood will be on our hands. We have a responsibility. I'm not saying you shove Jesus down their throat. I'm not saying that you beat them up over their stuff. I'm saying you simply form relationships, you love on people, and you invite them to church. If they don't come, that's cool. You still love them anyway. There will come a time that they look at your life and see something different about you. And when you explain to you what's different about you is Jesus, that's when you get through it. You think because I'm the pastor, she's the pastor's wife, we don't have a crazy marriage, she's married to me. But Jesus, you don't think my kids do stupid, insane, crazy stuff? We just dealt with it for a year, did we not? But Jesus... Jesus doesn't exempt us from the problems everyone else has. But Jesus gets us through them. They're going to look at you and see Jesus in your life, and they're going to want to know what the answer is if you're acting like Jesus is in your life. Mm. We need to realize something valuable is missing. If you're riding this boat, we don't need you to tell us how to drive the boat. But we need some help rowing the boat. We need some help financing the boat. We need some help making sure the boat stays clean every now and then. I understand that this might not be the church for you. You might feel like you need a church that's going to cater to you as a Christian and make everything about you. Man, they're everywhere. Now, you're going to have to figure out the secret handshake and the secret code to get in. But once you figure that in, man, you'll be catered to. We're not the church for you. I don't mean that in a mean way. I don't mean it in an a-hole way. I'm not trying to mean it in a controversial way. We might not be the church for you. Someone said, how do you become a member? You don't. We don't do membership around here. Every once in a while, we'll have a newcomer's dinner. We probably should do one of those soon. 
you're more than welcome to partner with us to reach those that are far from God, but we don't do members. Because the problem with members are members expect something. When I join and become a member at Sam's, I get the benefit of being able to buy six things of ketchup all at once in one package. I, I get to buy in bulk there. If, if I'm a member of a golf club, a golf course, I don't know, I don't golf. I get the benefit that I get to golf there when other people can't. See, when you're a member of something, there's benefits. Why would we have members? Because once you become a regular, you lose all your benefits around here. It's no longer about you. It's about reaching others. When you become part of this church, you become a missionary. Now, that doesn't mean if you're mature in your faith, I don't think that means that you're not going to get fed around here because the problem is most mature Christians don't understand the basics anyway. Love God, love people. So I think you'll get fed around here. I think we teach the Bible in a biblical way. We use a lot of Bible. I'm going to teach you what the Bible says. But it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about... Something valuable is missing. That's the mission of Jesus. The Bible says in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. He did other things. He healed people. He raised the dead. He taught. We do other things. We worship. We, we feed the community. We do all that. But at the end of the day, we came to seek and save that which is lost because something valuable is missing. There's always room for one more. But if there's going to be one more, you've got to realize something valuable is missing and do whatever it takes to get that one here. And that brings me to the second point. Not only was something valuable missing, they did whatever it took to find that which was missing. It's not enough to realize something's missing. It's not enough to realize that they need Jesus. It's not enough to realize we might be the church that can get them to Jesus. We've got to do whatever it takes to have a connection to their life. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the last sheep until he finds it? I like how Jesus words that like it's common sense. Don't he leave the 99? I'm not a shepherd. Shocker. I don't know shepherding rules. But if I was a shepherd, I would think I'm staying with the 99 and not going to look for the one. Because the 99, safe. If I leave the 99 and go after the one, maybe the 99 aren't safe. But no, it says... Doesn't he leave it like it's just common sense? Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully? I like how Jesus asks answers, asks him questions that he already knows the answer to, like we do with our kids. Is this room clean? You know it ain't clean. That's why you're asking. Jesus asking him questions that he already knows the answer to. Man, I love Luke 15. So he got up and went to his father. You've been in that pig pen. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Saw him because he was looking for him. Was filled with compassion for him. And then not only did he see him, had compassion for him, he could have just waited for the son to come. He said he ran to him. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. In each of these three stories, they did whatever it takes to find that which was missing. Why do we do church the way we do it around here? Because we do whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. We don't do fake around here. Had a family recently visit, sent us a message and said, man, enjoy the church, enjoy this, blah, blah, blah. A little too raw for us. That's cool, that's cool. I get it. But if I'm too raw for you on Sunday... I'm going to be too raw for you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because I don't do fake. Someone asked me recently, why'd you get up and share some of your personal stuff? We don't do fake around here. You think I'm going to get up here and say, hey, I'll go through you through your mess, and then not get up here and say, hey, go through me, go with me through my mess? Uh-uh. I don't do fake. We don't do fake around here. We do whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. When we started this church, I said, I want it to feel like a bar when you walk in. Why? Because people feel comfortable in a bar. They don't feel comfortable at church. I don't like that. I don't care if you like it. It's just a fact. 
why we have tables and chairs. And then for the religious people, they can sit in the rows like my wife. I don't want a band that's singing love songs to Jesus. I don't want to sing a love song to a dude. I want to worship a mighty God. I want to sing about how awesome he is, not how he gives me wet, sloppy kisses or whatever. He's a dude. He's coming back with two tattoos down his leg and a sword coming from his mouth. We've turned Jesus into a bearded chick. The problem is, and I'm going to offend some of you here, is we've catered church towards women. Because the large majority of churchgoers are women. They say if you reach the woman first, you have an 18% chance of reaching the entire family. 18%. If you reach the man first, you have an 83% chance of reaching the family. You know my favorite thing, and I get it all the time here, is women leave this church and they tell me, this wouldn't be the church I'd choose. I said, oh yeah? Because I always know what's next. They'll have tears coming down their face. But I love this church because it's the only church my husband and my kids look forward to coming to. Good. I want a worship leader who looks like Ronnie Van Zandt up here. <laughs> I want a four-minute guitar solo in the middle of the worship song. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I want my drummer not able to get here for the last song because he's still out there smoking <laughs> and ain't paying attention. I love it. I want the woman who's telling me about her Jesus to know she was in here Friday night while people were dancing and drinking and she was singing country music and, and, and rocking the house out. That's what I want. Amen. I don't want prim and proper worship, and I'm not anti-prim and proper worship. I'm just telling you, man, we've got to do whatever it takes to reach those that were lost. And if, and if the business of church reached them, there wouldn't be over 74% of the people in our community not going to church. I don't like that you play the secular music in the church. Why? Because when you get in your car, God hears you listening to it. Here's the deal, though. I'm not a good enough preacher for you to remember my messages. But when you hear that song come on, I get, I get messages all the time. Driving to work and this song came on, man, it reminded me of that time you preached on so-and-so. There's power in that. Funny thing is, Jesus used things from that culture all the time. He talked about fig trees and shepherds and things that the people of the day understood. We're going to do what no one else does. Why do you call your Thanksgiving thing, give Canton the bird? Because it's funny and we have a sense of humor. And people remember it. Can I tell you my favorite post every year? It just brings me joy. Every year, because he helps every year, is to see our mayor, who is the most prim and proper person in the world, every year take a picture with a grocery buggy full of things and saying, just gave Canton the bird. <laughs> I love that. It makes me laugh. It brings me enjoyment. I don't do this for the money. There ain't no money in it, so let me laugh every now and then. I like showing up and knowing there's an MMA ring over here and a wrestling ring over there and there's a Reformation keg that's back here because we bopped somebody upside the head at a wrestling show with it. It just amuses me. <laughs> we do what no one else is willing to do. I like that on the back wall back there, if you ever go back there, there's signatures of everybody who, who's played here. I love that one of the signatures says, Artemis Pyle, Leonard Skinner. Think about that. The drummer for Leonard Skinner played in this building. I love that. Because here's why. Not because he played in the building, because what it does is it creates an environment where those who don't normally go to church, they've been here for other events, they've been here for things, and they feel comfortable coming in here for church. I love it. 
I don't know what's going to happen one day when this building says it looks like we got about three or four more years. I've heard some rumors. I'll fill you in as those become official. So we're good. But God, I have a next place for us. I love this place. I want people to know that when we say we're going to serve people, someone asked me, I'm just going to be honest with you, we're going to air all the dirty laundry. We fought for 10 years not to partner with outside organizations because they just aren't as crazy as y'all. And then finally we gave in and we partnered with Must Ministries to give away food. Those jokers made it four weeks with this crazy crowd and couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> Second week they call us. It's raining. We're not coming. I said, why? It's raining. I said, you, you think the people that are hungry care it's raining? My volunteers are here. Oh, I guess we'll come. <laughs> then the fourth week, this is what they said. If I'm lying, I'm dying. It's too sunny. It's hot out there. I said, well, man, I bet those people that are hungry don't care that it's hot. I said, my people are here. Show up. The next week, they decided they had found a new place to go. God forbid you be in the number one place for those that are in need in the community. Someone said, would you try to get it back? No. Because we're going to give away food in the rain. We're going to give food away when it's 110 degrees. And here's the crazy thing. The women who give away food in this church are the grumpiest, curmudgeonest women in the world. So if they're willing to do it, what kind of crazy volunteers do you have? I'm thinking, how is your crowd rapping more than mine? We're going to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I love how we do church. And I get it's not church for everyone. I've got to wrap this up. I get it's not church for everyone. But I do believe it connects with those who don't do church. And I love when God sends us mature believers because they come with missionary mindset. Last, they celebrated when they found that what was lost. It don't do any good to get the one here if we're going to act like it's a funeral service every Sunday. When he finds it, the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. I love that. He didn't even make the sheep walk back. He carried it back. And goes home. He calls his friends and neighbors. Rejoice for me. I found my lost sheep. He said, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Heaven gets excited about the lost people. He's already got excited about you. You're old hat now. When she finds it, would she lose the coin? She calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. But the father said to his servants, Quick! He didn't lecture him. He said, Quick! He didn't say, I told you so. He said, Quick! Bring the best robe. Not a robe, the best robe. Put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead. He's alive. He was lost and he's found. So they begin to celebrate. Let me tell you what this church service ought to be like on a Sunday. It ought to be a party. I'm going to go ahead and lecture you on one thing. When the music starts, get out of the parking lot and come in here and start rejoicing. The party's in here, not out there. Well, I want to catch up and get here earlier. There ought to be a party. Y'all ought to be cheering when the band takes the stage. We had Whiskey Rose in here Friday night. When they came out, people cheered. They're great. I love them. They weren't taking us to Jesus in that moment. When I say, man, there's giving boxes on the back wall, you ought to celebrate and cheer. But we get to give back to a God who gives to us. You ain't got to cheer for me, but we ought to get excited over the Word of God being taught. This ought to be a party. I've told you my vision. My vision is to pull in this parking lot and see y'all tailgating about 6 a.m., excited and ready for church to happen. You say, that's unrealistic, is it? I do a wrestling show here, and people show up at noon every time and start tailgating, excited about a wrestling show. Again, grown men in underwear, fake fighting. <laughs> They'll start lighting up at noon to get tickets to get in here to this show. We ought to be excited about the house of God. We ought to be excited about what's happening around here. It ought to not just be our rocking Christmas Eve every year that gets people excited and ready to tailgate. Now, hey, on Sunday mornings, maybe we don't get as drunk as we do on Christmas Eve. But if y'all want to have some Bloody Marys out there, some mimosas, man, y'all do your thing. If that'll give you a little bit of life, then do whatever. But it ought to be a party here. We get to celebrate and worship the living God.
I watched football last night. I love football. I thought Ole Miss was going to pull an upset. Now, here's the deal. I love Georgia. I didn't want them to pull an upset. I just thought it was going to happen. But let me tell you something. Christine and I are watching that thing, and Christine makes a comment. She said, it is loud there. She said, look at those lights. I said, they're putting on a show. And I love it. But imagine if organically and naturally the house of God became that. Like we're excited that the love, living God loved us enough that he gave his only son to die for our sins. You think I'm going to get more excited about Brock Bauer returning than I am the fact that Jesus is returning? Well, how was that for a Baptist Christian thing right there? Guilty there. <laughs> you worried about Brock Bauer, but you ain't worried about Jesus. <laughs> I'm just saying this place ought to be fun. It's the house of God. Quit being so reverent. Ain't nothing reverent about your worship leader, trust me. Ain't nothing reverent about your pastor, trust me. You set something on fire, guess what happens? But guess what else happens? People come from miles around to watch it burn. We sit in the neighborhood the other day. All of a sudden, we hear it. Boy, fire trucks flying by, flying by. Now, I could have got my car to see what was going on, but I knew I didn't have to. Immediately, immediately, I go to the neighborhood Facebook page. they already talking about it. Why? Because people love to watch something burn. Set this place on fire, full of people on fire about the mission, not about religion, not about the duty of church, but about the fact that we just believe stripped down Christ loves us and saved our sorry souls, and we're going to love people no matter what, then guess what? You won't have a building big enough to hold the crowd. The table is open to everyone, but it's always room for one more. How big are we going to get, preacher? As big as God wants us to. I quit worrying about that a long time ago. But I can tell you this, we'll never turn one away.